Here we are. We are, uh, if you're just kind of joining us today for the first time, we are three weeks into a series we call Fulfilled. What we've been doing is going back into the Old Covenant, uh, Old Testament, and looking at some of the prophecies for Jesus, things that are four, five, seven hundred years, a thousand years before he came, these prophecies about uh, the Messiah, and then looking at this, how Jesus filled us. We would have confidence for our faith. To them, if you know, we live in a world in which a lot of people say, well, believe what you want, and what everybody believes is, is okay and is valid. But the problem is, is that we're staking our souls on these things, our eternities. And if you were like me, I would like to have a little bit more than, well, I think it feels right. I, if I'm staking my soul on something, I want to know that it's, I have confidence in it. And God is a good God, and he gave us evidence. He didn't just give us evidence. He said, test me. I'm going to give you something that humans can't just create. And so he gave us prophecies because what we know from the weather channel is that people can't predict the future, right? And so God gave us prophecies, not just like general things of these last couple of weeks you've been seeing. These are very specific uh, things that, that the Messiah must have. And this is how we'll be able to identify him. And as you look at these things, how Jesus fulfills these very specific, very bizarre, very strange things that, that were very unlikely, it gives us confidence to know that he is who he claims to be. He's actually the one um, that has been endorsed by God. And if he's endorsed by God, it gives me confidence that maybe he's the one I can trust my eternity to. So that's what we've been doing. Um, so today we're going to talk about one's called the prophesied son of man. Of course, before we get into that, we love to memorize the word of God, the scripture. So our, our scripture memory for this series is Ephesians 2.8. And it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What a powerful passage that is. Now, of course, as we're talking about the uh, prophecy today that uh, the Son of Man, and say so that's a weird way of saying uh, what we all know. Son of Man, what does it mean? It means this, that he's human and he's man. He's male. And that is a pretty lame prophecy on his, just on its own. That God says, I'm going to send a human man. And you're like, duh. Right? So for most of us, this seems today would be kind of like a real lame prophecy. But I'll tell you, it's a very deep prophecy. Uh, in fact, it's so deep. In the New Testament, uh, it's used 43 times. This, this term, title, Son of Man, is applied to the Messiah uh, 43 times. Because it's theologically deep. But the funny thing is it's kind of one of those stealth prophecies because it's only mentioned two times in the Old Testament, two times in in regards to the Messiah. And I was talking with uh, uh, Warren Wilkowitz. I don't know if you know him. He's a retired uh, pastor from a a large church. uh, And we were talking a lot before you after it. He said, I got to preach on this years ago. He said, it was really fun. He said, I think that God gave us this Son of Man title uh, the thing that was a prophecy is two times, only two times in the Old Covenant because people didn't understand it and it gave Jesus a, a way of claiming Messiahship without, if he just said, I am son of God the very first day, right, and guess everything, they would that would have been the end. No one would have listened to him. Um, but then when we begin to see what the prophecies are for the Son of Man, what Jesus was claiming, powerful stuff. So uh, we'll go into that. And so the only two times that it's used in the Old Covenant, however, are in Psalm, Psalm 80, and also in Daniel 7. So we'll just take a quick look at those. Here we are in Psalm 80. This was written a thousand years before Jesus came. It was written by King David. And this is what it said. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man whom you've raised for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. And uh, think about what a, uh, an interesting... Um, uh, 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 prophecy, that is. Uh, some things that we see about this one. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. Where is Jesus now? 
the right hand of God. When Stephen was executed, uh, Stephen was the very first martyr. When they killed him and he was able to see into the heavens, God revealed to him. What did Stephen say? He said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that's an interesting thing. Jesus tells us, Revelation, we see that's where he's at. We know where he is, at the right hand of God. Now, he says, there's a son of this man at the right hand of God. But it's interesting, the Son of Man. What kind of human could be in the presence of God? Right? We have a problem that we have sin, right? And, and that's, it's like having, you know, a, a, a mass murderer standing right next, you know, to a judge. Right? He's going to get thrown in jail. That's the problem. We're guilty. God is perfect. We're not righteous. He's righteous. Uh, we can't just be next to him. And yet God says there's going to be a human male, a man. And so he made it very clear. It's not just any, it's, a, it's actually a human being. That's going to be at his, his hand. And he's going to raise him up for himself. That's one of the ways that we're going to know that this son of man was different than all others. He was going to raise him up for himself. Now, quite literally, God raised Jesus from the dead for himself, right? He raised him from the dead, brings glory to God the Father. That's why Jesus said he did it. But also, I think contextually, what this is talking about, he's picking one out. He's raising out all the billions of people that have lived right? The billions of men that have lived, he's going to raise one, he's going to identify one out of all of humanity, one that is different and unique. And that's the one who will have the right to stand next to God. And what's going to happen is once he raises this person up, this, this Messiah, this unique human, he says, then we're not going to turn away from you. That's going to be the effect of this, this person's life. Is they're going to, he's going to take humanity. They've spent our entire history turning away from God and this, the effect of God raising this person up is that people will turn to God. That's one of the ways we'll get to identify him. What do we see with Jesus? Uh, all around the world today, uh, um, millions of Christians, right? Over a billion, like meeting today, worshiping God. Weren't they people that, that have turned to God? Have they started at being lost? That's the whole point of being Christian. We recognize that we were lost. We turn to God. There was evidence a thousand years before Jesus came. It says his ministry, this is what's going to be the effect of it. People will turn to him and we will call on your name. Which is interesting because you think about in, in the Old Testament and the Jews, if they reverenced God's name so much, they would never dare to mention the name of God, right? And yet something has, has changed. Now we are able to call upon God's very own name. And today we sang songs and we worship God by name. Here today, he has a name. That's going to be the effect of this. A thousand years before Jesus came, said there's going to be one, a human being, a special man that I'm going to raise up. I'm going to identify this when the effect of his life and his ministry are going to be people are going to turn to God because of him, right? And he's going to stand on my right hand. He's going to be identified with me. People are going to turn to God because of me. are going to call on God's name. And that's exactly what we see in Christ a thousand years after the prophecy was uttered. Now there's a second one. It talks about the Son of Man, and that's this. It's in Daniel chapter 7. Now, Daniel was written in the 7th century. It's about 600 years before Jesus came. And uh, Daniel, uh, he served while the people of Israel, the southern king, they were in captivity. And, and uh, so he gives uh, some prophecy about what's going to happen in the future. And he says this, In my vision at night I looked. So this is something he's seeing in the future. Prophets have that cool kind of prophet vision. And he says, There was one before me that was like a son of man, like a human man but there was something interesting about this one he has, he was coming in the clouds of heaven now when jesus was going uh, before the high priest 
right? And the high priest uh, was, was uh, um, trying him. They're trying to, to get a son so they could execute him. The high priest says, are you really, you know, tell us just plainly, are you really the son of, of, the, of the most blessed, right, son of God? And Jesus says, you're right, I am. And you're going to see me coming in what? The clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus called himself Son of Man over and over again, and and he had a very clear picture. He's saying, I'm going to come again. I'm going to come in glory as king of both heaven and earth. That's what he claimed, right? And and so we look forward to that. So the first prophecy in Psalms talks about the Son of Man when he came to save. This one sets about the Son of Man when he comes again. What a cool prophecy that is. Now, uh, he says this, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Now, we see this happening in Revelation, and the book of Revelation, which is an interesting thing. But something interesting about this is that, again, here is a human that has the right to approach God. No person has the right to approach God because we are sinful. Plus, he is God. We're not. That's what means he's holy. He's different than us, right? And yet, here is one that doesn't just approach the God, but also was led into his presence. He has been invited. He's being escorted into the heavenly throne room. <laughs> what a cool thing is that? And not only that, when he was with God, he says now he's given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all nations of peoples of every language worshipped him. Now this is going to be some evidence of how we know. This is this unique one that God is setting apart. Some things that we'll see with him. He'll have authority. What did Jesus say to the apostles right before he was led to heaven? He said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, he says, go make disciples. One of the evidence that we would have is authority. Now, uh, he also is going to have glory. Now, when uh, we, he comes back in the clouds, that's all about glory. As we, people knowing that he's king of kings and lord of lords. This is the prophecy about him returning again. He's going to be glorified. But yet, even today, he is glorified, isn't he? Over a billion people around the world today, bowing knee, worshiping Jesus. Tell me, what other first century character, or even any other one in the world, has that kind of glory? Is there any other human in the world that has the same amount of glory that Jesus has? Even today? being recognized no and i think it's interesting because i oftentimes we i get um discouraged by the state of things right and sometimes i'm like oh well it happens like if this politician or that politician do this thing what happens with all these you know and i get i get so worried and then i remember that jesus's kingdom it outlasted uh the romans which means it outlasted nero it outlasted Diocletian. It outlasted all of the persecutions there. It outlasted uh, the, the two uh, previous caliphates, one in the 7th and the 14th century. Uh, it outlasted those, and it's still around. It outlasted numerous genocides. Christianity has outlasted all kinds of governments that have been very unfavorable uh, to it, and it's not only survived but thrived and is now covering the globe. Our faith is going to outlast our kingdom. Christ's kingdom is going to outlast all of these things. He has glory. And this world can't take it from him, no matter how hard we try. And that's going to be one of the evidences, just an empirical evidence. If you're not a Christian, you're thinking about today, what other individual in this world is reverenced in every tribe and nation and language, just like the prophecy said he would? That's a unique prophecy to the people of Israel who are in captivity. That this Messiah wasn't just going to save one tribe, but all of them. And what do we see in Jesus? That's, that's our very marching orders, isn't it? Go to all people. That's why he is worshipped around the globe. This son of man is different. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion. It's not going to pass away. And we look at Christ's kingdom and we see nothing's been able to stop it. 
and nothing will. And we think about the greatest enemies that there possibly could be, not just on this earth, governments and power and money and corruption and all the things that we think could stop something, and it's blown through those, but also in the heavens. Totally defeated Satan. Awesome. There is nothing to to take him off his throne, and his kingdom is never going to be destroyed. And that's one of the things that Christ claims. Now, it's an interesting thing, is how can you have a dominion that's not going to pass away? It means that you don't pass away, right? I have dominion over my home so long as I'm alive. Once I am dead, no more dominion, right? So here's a crazy prophecy about this human. Not only is he going to be worshipped around the world, glorified, and God's good with that and all that stuff, but he's also himself not ever going to die. He's going to be alive forever. Now, that's a crazy thing. Now, that's the old covenant stuff. You say, Aaron, that's fascinating. That's neat. But, um, yeah, but he's still a man. I mean, that's a really lame prophecy, two really lame prophecies. But, but so we're going to talk about today why these are not lame prophecies. Why in the New Testament, why they're talked about so many times? What's the power in Christ being a human? And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Hebrews 2. If you don't, uh, if you have one of our, our um, Bibles that we have at the church, it's going to be on page 838. And if you don't have a Bible or you would like a new one, we invite you just to take one of those. They're, they're really great. Um, and so that'll be just our gift to you and uh, read it. Um, this is good stuff. Uh, so, so page eight thirty. Now, as you're turning in your Bibles uh, to uh, Hebrews two, uh, what you're going to notice, is, I'm going to tell you a little history of it. Hebrews was written um, probably by Paul, though we're not sure because um, the circumstances under its writing prohibited the author from giving his name, and that's because it was written when the church uh, was being persecuted very violently under the hand of Nero. Uh, Nero was an emperor. He didn't like Christians very much, and so he was killing them just, and, and the Romans were, were finding Christians, and when they would meet together, right, when they would huddle together, whatever, they would find them, and then they would torture them to find out where their families are and all this kind of stuff. It was a bad time for Christians. But then it was even worse for Hebrew Christians because the, the, the Christians that were in Rome that were of Jewish descent, they had already been kicked out once by a different emperor, Right, because uh, there was a dispute amongst the Jews whether or not Jesus was the Messiah or not, and the emperor said, I don't need to deal with this, and kicked them out. So they finally get to come back into Rome uh, several decades later, and by the time they get to come back, the church is kind of like, um, was mostly Gentile and things like this, and we're like, we've got things going our way, but also then their Jewish uh, friends who moved back into uh, to Rome at the same time who weren't Christians, they weren't taking them into the community of the Jewish because they were like, we got kicked out of here because of you guys, right? So there was kind of a lonely place to be. Then when Rome comes down and has horrible persecution, here are these, these Christians, these Jews saying, is it just easier to walk away from Christianity and go back to Judaism? We can get back our community and all that kind of stuff. And so the book of Hebrews was written to them to show them how we know that Jesus really is their Messiah. And it gives them confidence for their faith. And so as in the midst of Hebrews 2, then, as we're in that book, that we're going to start and we're going to find out some really cool things about this Messiah. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this, is that this Messiah was, um, that through him, God gave humans undeserved honor because he is the son of man. And so if you have verse 5 through 8 there, it says this, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified that uh, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. So he starts off with this. What are people that God should care for us? We are lower than angels. Why would God even care for us? And But yet God does. He's given us position that we have not earned. You know what that's called? Grace. 
Do you know what our, our memory verse was? Is that kind of harken back? We used by grace you have been saved. It's an important concept, isn't it? That this son of man, this, this one, that humans could, didn't deserve God's honor, but God gave it to them anyway by grace. Why? It says this, um, it says, and putting everything under them, that's humans, God left nothing that was sub, not subject to them. Yet at the present, we don't see everything subject to them. And we say amen, right? Because you think about, like I, my car broke down yesterday. It was not subject to my will, right? That was not a happy thing. I was like, oh, a stupid car. But, so we don't see in life today where everything is subject to us. He says, but by faith, we know that God has overcome these things and that Jesus is coming back and there'll be different things. But what we do see today, what gives us confidence that someday we will have the fulfillment of our faith, it says this, but we do see Jesus, now get this, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Well, who also was made lower than the angels? Like a sentence earlier? Humans. He's saying Jesus is a human. (gasps) That's huge. God made him one of us. For a little while, and now he's crowned with what glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You understand that he explains to us that one of the reasons that the Son of Man came was so that we could receive grace. Right? If Jesus didn't come as a man, we wouldn't have the opportunity for grace. Now that's some crazy theology, it's a little deep theology, and I know it's early this morning, so I, I drew it out for you with beautiful stick figures and things like this. So we have, we have God. And God is, is self-contained, triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's got everything he needs. And God in of himself has infinite life, right? God has all life. And God made humans, right? He formed us out of the dust of the ground. Then he breathed his life into us. And now he could do that because he has infinite life. So if I have an infinite checking account, right, and I want to give you a dollar, I still have infinite dollars. That's the cool thing about infinity, right? So God's a good investor, And so he says, I want to give you life. So he gives people life. And how many lives do you have? One. We all have one life. Everybody agrees with that, right? You're not like a cat. You get one life. And so we're happy. God made us people. We have life. We're living. We're living with God. Things are good. Problem is uh, that God gives us a free will because he wants us to have a relationship with him. And he warns us, hey, listen, you can choose all kinds of things, but you can't hold on to to sin and life at the same time. Because the cost of sin, it has a price. Just like the cost of a hamburger is a dollar, the cost of sin is your life. And we call that death. Now, he says that in, in Genesis, right at the beginning, he says, be careful that you don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't sin. Because the day you do it, surely you're going to die. So that's it. But then later, in, in uh, Romans 6.23, he explains that, that. There's a cost there. And the cost has never changed. The cost of sin is death. And so if we, people, we have, this, we have this opportunity. We can hold on to our life and do things the way that God says that he, we should do, or we can do things the way that we want to do them if they disagree. But if we do that, then we make this exchange. We can't hold on to both. The cost of it, we, we've sinned. Now we owe our life. And so there we are with sin. And the crazy thing about sin is obviously we don't have life. And when we don't have life, you have death because death is the absence of life, Right? Have I, have I lost you guys yet? No, right? This is the late service. You guys are good. So here we have it. We have, this is what we deserve, right? We deserve to be dead in our sin. And yet, we're not dead in our sin. Why? 
Well, because God did something really awesome for us, which we're going to be reading about in the next couple chapters. So it gets more and more fun. Here we go, verses 12 and 13. Actually, I think that we should go up maybe to verse 10, and it says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he had suffered. You see, Jesus, by being the Son of Man, uh, became a perfect sacrifice, right? So Jesus provides salvation through his perfect sacrifice, and that's what it says right there. How does that work? Well, let's go back to our, our example here. Here's, here's us, right? And we have death, and that's what we deserve. Now, the problem with death is that it also separates us from God because God is life, and so God said, listen, there's going to be a sacrificial system. I want you to have goats and bulls and things like this that will help you understand a principle I'm trying to teach you, right? But the problem was a lot of people thought that bulls and goats could take away sin. So we'll just do sacrificial things. I'll do bad things, then I'll make a sacrifice, and then I'm good with God. But God said, well, that's not really the point of those sacrifices. In fact, he later says it's impossible for the blood and bulls and goats to take away sins. So bye-bye, goat. That was too bad. So we have a problem. So the reason that he gave us the blood of bulls and goats is he was teaching us a, a principle that, listen, you you have your sin, you're dead, you don't have life to cover it, and, but uh, there's going to be a way that somebody else can cover your sins. But the why bulls and goats couldn't cover it is it's the wrong currency. It's like if you had a pocket full of pesos, right, and then you walk into like McDonald's and you want a hamburger, you ain't going to hamburger. You got the wrong currency, right? Bulls and goats have life, yes, but they're not the same as humans. Human sin requires human life. Now, am I just, is that, is that a bad thing to say? Well, think about this. I love my son. He's a great kid, right? And I love dogs. Right? I got a little dog named Caesar Dogustus. Great dog. And if somebody came over to my house today and said, Aaron, you have to choose between your son and your dog, my son stays. Sorry, Caesar. Well, what if they say, you know what? You, you get to have, you know, either your son or 10 dogs. Not even a question. I keep my son. All right, how about my son and, and a thousand dogs? My son stays. How about my son and a million dogs? My son stays. See, animals are not the same. And we are the children of, of God. And so bulls and goats, they don't have the value, the wrong currency. God wasn't using them for that. He was teaching us something. So when he brought the, the sacrifice, we would know how it would work. And so we have this that blood and goats can't take away sin, so we need a human. Well, let's just say that there shows up in the world a perfect human. Never sinned. Now, this is a really good person, right? But if we just killed them to say, I want your life, then we would be guilty of that sin and then we would die. And they would die perfect. So, so this, this perfect person would have to agree to say, I will exchange my life for yours, right? And the sacrificial system taught us that you could exchange righteousness for guilt. All right, that was the thing. But it'd have to be a human. So let's say we did find this perfect person, just showed up, and they said, hey, I'm willing to trade my life for yours. I will, you can have my life. I will pay the price for your sins. And we were like, yeah, definitely. Then we would have life, and they would have our death. That's how it works. That's sacrificial atonement. And that's what the system that bulls and ghosts were to teach us. Now, there's a problem with this. First, uh, you don't just have one sin. The problem is, is that you and I, we sin a lot, don't we? I mean, just driving to Denver, right? Just one day. You just add it up. We have so much sin to cover that even if this person, perfect person came, and even if they were willing to trade 
their life for our sin, they would only be able to pay for one of our sins. And what would happen? Well, the rest, that life would be crushed by the rest of our sins that we have, and they would have forfeited their life. That's not a good solution, right? What it leaves us with is this, is that we have countless sins. We have a debt that we can't pay. We've been given one life, we've already forfeited, and then we continue to rack up the debt. We cannot be made right with God on our own. This is why no religion will ever work. This is why that, that we, don't, we can't just be good enough to get back to God. This is, this is what happens as we have this separation and, and, and when we try to think, I can pay this off, we can't. We, don't ha- we have nothing in us. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We recognize our poverty. We begin with that point of saying we need something. We can't earn it. We need grace. And so uh, we have this, this separation between us and God who can save us from this horrible body of death. And that's why we say thanks be to God for sending us Christ Jesus. You see, God sent himself as a man. You see how cool that is? He has the right currency. But not only that, but he has enough value. He doesn't just have one life to get because he is God. He has infinite life. He's got a really good checking account. And because of that, he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the only one who is qualified to pay for our sins. That's what that means. I think if you think about this for a second, you think about how lost we are as humans without God. When he didn't have to send us Jesus, but just in ourselves, the weight of that sin we can't pay for how lost we are. I think once we get that, we can begin to then grasp the the magnitude of grace and what Christ has done. And so he did send us that. And because Jesus came, it says, uh, um, because he came man, he was mortal. And because he was mortal, he was able to die, which is important because remember, you have to forfeit your life That's the cost of sin. And so he had to be able to do that. God couldn't forfeit his life because God is immortal. So the immortal had to become mortal. In verse 14 and 15 it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of our death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see, that God took on flesh and blood so that he could die for you and me. And so we see this amazing exchange. God didn't just come. Jesus didn't just come with perfect, but he, he offered us forgiveness. He said, I will trade. I will trade my life for your sins, for your countless sins, and he could do it. And so he took our death so that we could live his life. You see that amazing exchange that only he could do. And he did that when he was on the cross. And by faith, when we receive Christ's gift to us by faith, we receive eternal life. This is an amazing thing for us because we think about uh, how, how, how is this done? How can did God pay for all of that? That's a lot of sins. Well, if there was an invoice in heaven that would you know, tell us this is what it, it would look like this. So the invoice, sin, countless sins. There's lots of sins. What's the price of which of those sins? It's a life. So how much do we have to pay? Countless lives. Our total, countless lives we would have to pay. But Jesus, payment received in full, he sacrificed infinite life for countless deaths. Now, that's paid in full. That's why it says in Scripture that there is no longer any condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. 
Let's just say I go to Starbucks, and I was on one of those good days, and I say, I'm going to pay for the person behind me's coffee, right? And then you step up, because you're behind me, and then you order a coffee, and then you go to pay. Now, would it be just for the clerk to then accept your payment? No, because it's already paid for, right? It would be unjust for them to. The thing is, is that your sins have been paid for. It would be unjust for God to punish you, to make you pay for your sins. That's why it says in 1 John 1, 9, it says, it says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He does what is right in this, that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us in Romans. Why? Because it's been paid for. God can't punish us for sins that have been paid for, and your sins have been paid in full. Now tell me if that's not good news. That means it's not going to be visited again. They are gone. As uh, Scripture says, as far as east is from the west, and if I look at a globe, that's a long way. That's how far God has removed your sins from you. They're no longer in the picture. They have been paid for. Done. That is grace. Do you see this? How amazing. It is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. But it gets better. Can you imagine it would get better than this? Like, this is pretty awesome. This is why it's called good news. Like, like we're whooping it up. That's the, like, you see this. Can you imagine somebody shows up to your house and says, you know what, I'm just going to pay for your mortgage. I'm going to pay for the mortgage of everybody on your street. Anybody who wants it. Would you be happy? Like, what? Take your car payment. I'll pay it. Boo, done. Or if they walked up and say, I'll pay all of your bills for the rest of your life. You'd be like, yes. Credit cards, done. You would be happy. God has paid a debt that you would never be able to pay. Never. Never. Totally done. Totally paid off. You, are, you have life. And how much life? Eternal life. That's why it says when we come to Christ, we have life everlasting. It doesn't end. We're going to sing a song later on. It's like, death, where is your victory? It doesn't have one on us anymore. These bodies are going to wear out. We get new ones that don't wear out. Yay! We have eternal life because we have the life that Christ gave us. We are alive in him. That is good news. Man, you should be leaving this morning. That's a change. You came to Christ as debtors. You came as Christ with people who had burdens that I had a debt you could not pay and you leave from Christ and you realize that you have been set free. You've been given a new life. Something that cannot be taken away. What joy. But then I said it gets better and it does. Because this is what it means that Jesus took on flesh. He didn't just was able to pay for our sins. It means he also understands us. Look what it says here. We get down into to verse 16 and, and stuff. Uh, actually, yeah, it says... Uh, it says, For surely is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, humans, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. You ever had a day where you thought, Man, God, you don't get me. You don't get my life. There you are in heaven with all the angels around you serving whatever you want. You got all the glory. If you want something, you just speak it and it happens. Must be nice. But here I am stuck in this world. My car breaks down. What do I do? Can't just speak it. Work. Doesn't happen. Boy, you don't get me, God. 
Here I am suffering. Here I am alone. Here I'm afraid. Here I'm, I'm stressed out about things. What, you don't get me. Have you ever been there? And you're praying to God like you understand? Here's the amazing thing. Jesus understands because he does not just like make people. He became a people. He knows what it's like to be frustrated. Jesus knows what it's like to have crazy deadlines and weird bosses. Jesus knows what it's like to have financial problems and bills. Jesus knows what it's like to have friends and, and good things. And also he understands what it's like to, to endure the loss of those that you love. Jesus understands what it's like to be a person. He understands what temptation feels like. And because he understands those things, he is uniquely qualified to be our high priest. Here's a cool thing that we have. There's something else. How can he do that? How can a dead person become our high priest? Because here's God. He took on our death. And Jesus was dead. But I wasn't, you know, fantastic at math. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't like a mathematician. I didn't get like a cone hat or anything like that with numbers on it. I was just a regular math guy. But one thing I do know about math is this. Infinity minus anything is what? Infinity, right? You have eternal life. You take away anything from it. You still have eternal life. Now, if I go to the grocery store and I buy myself some groceries, and they say, Aaron, that is uh, $19 worth of groceries. And I say, well, that's good, because I have a $20 bill. And I give them the $20 bill. Do I just leave? No, I say, my dollar, please. (laughs) Right? When you overpay, you get change. Well, Jesus overpaid just a little bit. Now, he paid for countless sins. That's a lot. But he paid an infinite amount. He put down a big bill. Boom. And he said, uh, excuse me, I think I would like to have my change back, which is why he rose again from the grave. See, it was owed to him, infinite life. And the cool thing about that is he was not diminished even in the slightest. He paid for all of our sins, and yet he still has infinite life. How cool is that? So he's able, he's alive, which is a good thing for a high priest to be is alive because dead priests don't do anything. Because he is alive, he invites us to share a life with him, his life for us. But he's able to do something that no one else is qualified to do. He's able, because he is God-man, he's able to, to go to God the Father on our behalf and say, have mercy on them. Yeah, they're struggling, they're weak, but you know what? It's hard to be a people, right? Yeah, they're messing up on this, but man, I've, I have been there and I know that's hard. Have mercy. When you talk to Jesus, you're not talking to a God who is just like the, you know, like the God in the corner office that has no idea what, what it's like for the rest of us working. He's a God who's been down there in the trenches and he understands and he gets it. But here's a cool thing too. He also knows what it's like to be God. He can represent God t- for us. We can look at him and see what, is, what does righteousness look like? What does God want from us? What does, he, what does it mean to live a life that God has called us to? He can speak with that kind of authority into our lives and say, you know what? I get it that you're weak, but this is the standard and we can get there, but you need to do this. He can speak and and God can trust him to be that mediator for me and you. He is uniquely perfect for that role and there is no other person, no no other deity out there that you can try to find that admits this role perfectly. He loves us, he paid the price and he's able to, 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 to speak to God the Father on our behalf. He is a merciful God. Isn't that even better than just having your sins paid for? Can you imagine going to heaven, sins paid for, but God's not merciful? And he's like, oh, I know what you did, Jesus. You guys got off. I'm just waiting for you, right? Merciful. He understands us. He loves us. 
And he shows us how to live the right life that God wants us to live. You see, Jesus is a son of man. And that may sound boring. But, he, but, you know, but only the son of man could come and to pay our penalty. Only the son of man could understand us. Only the son of man could make us right. Only the son of man could make a way for God's grace to flow upon you and me. And that's exactly what it has done. Jesus fulfilled the requirements. He did it all. Isn't that amazing? Fulfilled. Done. You and I are saved by God's grace. And we can see why this is right. God's not just making up some kind of crazy stuff. It passed the test of philosophy. It passed the test of history. It passed the test of reason. You have been saved by God's grace through faith. God can do it and still be righteous. Awesome. Through faith. And that faith is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a gift. What do you do with that gift? Well, I think a lot of us, we have it, but we don't understand it which is why I drew cartoons. But I think we need to practice it because it's such good news that we live in a world that is so filled with debt and darkness, so filled with people that, under, that, that own their own shame, even Christians still falsely holding on to shame and guilt. This world needs some good news. And you've been called God's ambassadors of good news. His ambassadors of life, of goodness, of forgiveness. And I have some ideas to help you put that into practice this week. Some ways to put that deep concept, that theology into your life. And so you take out your connection card. On the back side, I have some things. I'm going to challenge you. That maybe there's one or two or maybe all these things that you want to commit to to begin to how do you own this? How do you begin practicing this wonderful truth that the Son of Man has come and you have been set free? Well, the first thing I'm going to challenge you is memorize Ephesians 2.8. Why? Because every religion in the world and every part of our own Human nature wants us to say that we have to earn salvation. It's all about me being good enough, but I think you've seen today why that is a a ridiculous proposition. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that passage needs to be tattooed on our spirits so we don't get to that point of becoming self-righteous. So we don't get to that point of, of, of burdening ourselves with false guilt and shame that God has taken away from us. Your past has been paid for. Your present is paid for. Your future is paid for. You are paid in full. And maybe what you need is to say, that's by God's grace I have been saved. And you need to own it and live it. Maybe that's what you begin with this week. And as you say those words, think about it. And be set free. Maybe something else too is maybe you want to read that Hebrews. That book of Hebrews, that's a good book. You know, if you read two chapters a day, you get pretty much through it this week. You might have a day you add a little extra, but read in context, right? Don't take my word for it. See how Jesus, that whole book, how we know Jesus was the Messiah and why he is better than anything else. You want to have confidence in your faith and why it matters? Read that this week. You know what? As we read God's word, it it helps us. It helps us grow and it helps us think the right things to see what this, this amazing son of man has done for you. Or maybe what you need to do Maybe you're here this morning. You get this. You've grown up. Maybe you've heard this in church and you get this concept. But you know what? In life, we get buried by just the, the tedium of life and then uh, we forget what Christ has really done and then we start choosing our own way again, don't we? And Or we take advantage. We say, well, Jesus forgave my sins, so it's a free pass. 
right? And so Paul even addresses this. He says, should we just keep on sinning so that God's grace can continue to grow? Is that why, you know, since Jesus paid the bill, why don't just run up as much as we do? And, and Paul, I love how he answers that. He says, mega no, that's mega noita. That's the word that's used. It's like mega no, don't do that. Why? Because you're living a small life. Why would you live a life of death when God has called you into a, into a different life of purpose and of life? So he says to us, though we are Christians, we're not saved by good works. He says, we're called to them. We're called to live a better way, a life of purpose, a life of meaning. And you might be here this morning. and There's something in your life that you're holding on to, you know, was from that old nature. It's part of that sin. It's, it's part of that. You're not going to be condemned because of it. But why live in it any longer? It's been paid for. So maybe this morning as you take Christ's invitation up to live a new life and you say, God, I'm going to sacrifice that thing, that sin that's been holding me back. And I'm going to start living because you have a better way of living. I'm going to do That's called repentance. It's changing. Maybe you're at a point today. Let me know you're doing that because that's not always easy. I'll be praying for you this week if you do that. And I would love to have the privilege of, of serving you that way. But maybe there's something else you need to do is serve. You know, we have a God who is a real God. He's a, he actually came. He actually came in flesh. People say, well, how do we know God came? Well, for starters, he actually showed up. That's a big deal. Like, he didn't just say, trust me, I exist. He actually showed up and said, touch the wounds, right? He came. Now, he's a God. He's also God. He's our Savior, but he's also our Lord. And he says, I've got a purpose for you. And you know what? As a Christian, you could come every week and you can just show up. You don't even have to show up to church and be a Christian. You can just be a Christian and just, you know, just go by life. But you're going to be missing out on the best part. See, God didn't just save you. He's called you. He's appointed you. He's anointed you with his Holy Spirit to do works of goodness in your life, in your community. He's called you to serve other people. God came and served us. Jesus even said, he, let, he washed the apostles' feet and he says, now you've seen me serve. Now you know how I'm supposed to do it. Serve others. If you're tired of living a life where it just feels like you're just getting up and just barely making going by, the answer is not to just you know, make more money or find some more vacations or do something else, right? The answer is we begin to stop living just for ourselves. We take up God's great call and we can begin to live for purpose and meaning, and that's in serving other people. And that's serving Christ through serving other people. And if you would like some help with that, let me know. And you could serve and you can just put on there, you know, call or whatever, and make sure I have your information. I'd be happy to meet with you, help you connect in a ministry, help you begin to start serving and living out your faith in a way that takes away from selfishness and starts living a life of love. What a great way of beginning to express that a great grace that we have received, huh? Maybe there's something else you have. If you have another commitment, please write it down. I will be praying for you this week. Maybe you have a prayer request because you know what? This great God, he didn't just save us, but he also is an awesome high priest. He listens to us. Let us pray with you. God does amazing things when we talk to him. So if you've got a prayer request, write that down. Here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering and our tithes, put this in the basket along with your offerings and your tithes. And uh, let this be also a, a commitment, a connection of yourself to say, God, I want to be living this life with you. Um, we'll do that. Before we do that, however, we want to pray for our, obviously our tithes, our offerings, but also just take a time, a moment to just talk to God. And so I'll start us, um, and then uh, after I'm done, if there's something you want to voice to God, you're welcome to do that, or just pray from the quiet of your heart. God hears those things too. But let's go to our Father now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You loved us. And we see, Father, that this was your plan. Son of man may have sounded boring, but it's powerful. We thank you that you're a God who was able to pay for our sins. You're a God who did pay for our sins. And you're a kind of God that because you did that, you are a gracious God and you love us. And that you could be merciful to us. Now, Father, we thank you for these tithes, these offerings that we're going to be bringing. It's just a portion of back to what you already provide for us because you are so good. But, Father, even before we do that, we also bring you our hearts. 
We're thankful you're a God that doesn't just uh, bless the physical things, but Father, you bless us with your presence and with your word and your will in our lives. So Father, we pray as, as, you, uh, as, as we prepare for this time that you would also, that you would hear these prayers. And we ask that in Christ's name.